starts. And so today, what I want to do is preach a message called The Race Against Racism. If you've got a Bible, I want us to do some clear biblical thinking about this matter. Before we allow our emotions and our opinions to take us anywhere, let's go back to the solid rock of His Word. If you've got a Bible with you, turn to Acts chapter 17, verse 26. And I'm just going to read one verse there. Paul was in Athens in a very multicultural situation. And this is what he said. Acts 17, verse 26. From one man, from one humanity. Some translations have from one blood. He created all nations throughout the whole earth. And he decided beforehand when they should rise, who has power, and when they shall fall. And he determined their boundaries. You know, the father was looking out for the prodigal son. And he was looking for the prodigal son to return. And he held up a sign, prodigal sons matter. And of course, the older brother uh, and the spirit of the older brother got a little bit upset that he held up the sign that prodigal sons matter. And the older brother, being upset, made his own sign and said, all sons matter. And the father turned to him and said, dude, it's not about you right now. And maybe that's some of the message that we all need to take on, that although some people may be worried that some people are being highlighted, dude, it's not about you right now. I want to say to you today that after the shouting is done, we need some clear thinking. After the protesting is done, we need some clear thinking. And we're all in a state of shock, and indeed, we're in a state of mourning. And although we're all looking for a change moment, I understand and I acknowledge that some people need to dwell a little bit longer in the pain, and we don't need to move on just as quickly as some people wanted to. Uh, With my mask on and my gloves on, I went to the protest this week. And I sensed that what people wanted was, and what people were at least doing as as a collective, they were saying, we want a change, and we don't agree with what is, because we have to recognize it is, and what has been. At least it was that collective opinion that we all need to take note of, is we don't agree with what has gone on or is going on. I spent some time this week on a Zoom call with many black leaders from around the city in which I live, here in Birmingham. And they want to craft a statement. I encourage them, make a strong statement. And uh, some of the discussion came around to what is the next step. And, you know, before we get to the next step, we need a first step. And the first step is let's repent. Let's change. The first step is let's repent, let's receive. So today, what I'd like to say to you, let's get our thinking clear first. Let's get our minds clear first. Let's get our hearts clear first so that after all the shouting is done, that we can begin to move from what the Scripture says. And so today, After the shouting is done, what can we build? 
And I can't build the whole house today, and I'm not going to attempt to. But what I can do is at least begin to start to lay a foundation. And so in your mind and in your heart today, I wonder if you could ask the Holy Spirit, build a foundation of clear thinking. That's my only goal today, is to bring some clear thinking about racial issues and racism. I can't say everything that there's going to say, that we need to say, but we need to begin to say some things. So clear thinking on race. Let's make sure that we gather around what the Scripture says, and it says much. Number one, the first thing that the Scripture says, let's make sure that we see the beginning clearly. That actually if we go right back to the beginning in Genesis chapter 1 verses 26 and 27, it tells us that we're all made in the image of God and that we all come from one common ancestry. You know, Kathy reminded me yesterday that actually the Lord only created two types of humans, male and female. And that was the only distinction that was ever made and we do know that even that distinction has been abused many times. But they were completely complementary. They were completely making up what human identity is, both men and women. There was never any uh, uh, indication or hint about any differences of any other race. All, All races equally bear the image of God. That's clear biblical thinking. All races equally bear the image of God. And let's just uh, call it out and let's just reject this nonsense about the the racist doctrine about the mark of Cain. Uh, In Genesis chapter 4 verse 15 where some have taught that that was some sort of mark racially. It was not a mark racially. It was actually a mark of mercy and protection upon Cain so that him being a murderer wouldn't be murdered himself. It was not passed on to his children. It was not, it was just for him. So let's just move away from any sort of uh, doctrinal nonsense in that way. And also, let's also move away from what some people teach about Noah cursing Canaan. Actually, his son Canaan was the only peoples that didn't become African peoples. And so any curse on Canaan had nothing to do with any skin color whatsoever. So let's move away and let's see the beginning clearly that all people are created in the image of God. Number two, let's go to the end. If we see the beginning clearly, let's go to the end. In Revelation 7 verse 9, God makes it clear what he is trying to achieve. Turn there in your Bible with me. Revelation 7 verse 9 says this, And after this I saw a vast crowd, too great to count, from every nation and every tribe and every people and every language, standing in front of the throne of the Lamb of God. They were all clothed in white robes and held palm branches in their hands, and they were shouting with a great roar, Salvation comes from our God who sits on the throne and on the Lamb. If you can see the beginning clearly, let's see the end clearly God is trying to create something of all nations, all tribes, all peoples. Thirdly, let's have a look at what is happening in the middle. As a church, we're encouraged to cross racial lines in the Great Commission. That we're actually commissioned to go into all the world. And actually in Mark chapter 16 verse 15... 
The commission is to go to all ethnos, all ethnicities, all peoples. I want you to remember something in the book of Acts that the, the plan was, and, and we as Pentecostals, we should know this. In Acts chapter 1, verse 8, it says that the Holy Spirit will come upon you and give you power, and you will go from Jerusalem, Judea, and to Samaria, which was the racial issue of the day, and then into the uttermost parts of the world. They were, to, they were commissioned to go to the place where the Jews didn't want to go, where they had problems. And Jesus, make, Jesus makes it plain that the love of God and the gospel is for everybody. And this is our stand where we must stand. In fact, the mention of Jerusalem, Judea, and to Samaria is very key in the New Testament. In the New Testament, Samaria offers a significant place in, the, in confronting racial issues. Jesus goes out of his way to save and to transform a Samaritan woman, a, a, a Samaritan woman of dubious, a, a dubious uh, situation, and yet he still reaches out to her. Jesus also makes the hero in one of his parables the good Samaritan. It's a saying today that we're a good Samaritan. Our listening and telephone service is called the Samaritans. And what Jesus did was he lifted up the fact that this was a racial issue and he confronted it and said, this must not be. It's very significant that the Samaritans are mentioned in the New Testament. So if we think about the middle, the church is commissioned to go to everyone. Nobody's missed out from God's love or from the power of the gospel. Number four, clear biblical thinking is that we are made from one blood. Acts chapter 17 verse 26 and then Ephesians chapter 2 tells us that God's plan for the church is that we become one humanity. That we become one household and one temple. Listen to Ephesians 2 verse 13 because I want to stay on the truth of the scripture today and on the foundation of what God says in his word. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Have you been washed in the blood of Christ? You are near. That's what the scripture teaches. For he himself is our peace and he has made the two groups one. Which two groups was he talking about? He was talking about Jews and Gentiles. If you're not a Jew, you're a Gentile. And through Christ we all become one. And he has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. We're one household, one holy temple raising to the Lord. Understand that what Christ is trying to do is create one new humanity. A redeemed humanity, a changed humanity. Number five. We are tasked to welcome the alien and the foreigner wherever they enter our land or our homeland. Leviticus 9.33 says you must never mistreat a foreigner. Remember that one of the breakthroughs of the New Testament was when the Lord showed Peter, one of the leading apostles in Acts chapter 10, he went to a Roman's house and a sheep was let down with all different kinds of animals that he would never eat. And he, and he was 
taught by the Lord that everybody was clean. In fact, he says this in Acts chapter 10, verse 34, and Peter began to speak, I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but he accepts from every nation the one who fears him and does what is right. We must understand that the New Testament breaks down barriers between men and women and races. It's in the scripture and it's something that we must live out. Number six, we are to reach out to the poor and anyone who is struggling. That's what the scripture teaches. In fact, James calls it pure religion to reach out to the orphans and the fatherless. But in Isaiah chapter 1, verse 17, it reads like this. Learn to do right. Seek justice. Defend the oppressed. Take up the cause of the fatherless. Plead the cause of the widow. Some are very much on a lonely island of poverty in a vast ocean of materialism. Many of us have comfortable lives, and yet we ignore the poverty around us. And God's call to justice is to reach out to everyone who's struggling in whatever race or nation they are. So what can we do? I mean, these are huge issues. The first thing is we can believe the Scriptures. We can believe what the Bible says about these issues. Give our hearts to them and say, yeah, that's what I want to think. I may not be there yet, but that's what I want to do. What can we do? Number one, first of all, We have to allow Christ the shepherd into our pain. Many of us have been abused and many of us have been spoken to and even acted upon in ways that are not right. But you have to allow the shepherd to come into your pain. And I'm not saying that to minimize it or to ignore it. But as T.D. Jake said this week, any pain you hold on to is going to kill you. Anything that you hold on to is is going to destroy you, is going to warp you, is going to change you. So you have to allow Christ into your pain and ask him to help you transform it, and he will transform it. Remember the parable of the Good Samaritan when he found the person lying on the road. What did he pour in? He poured in the oil and the wine. He put in the oil of the Holy Spirit for healing. And we must allow the Holy Spirit to begin to heal us, heal the memories, heal our, heal our psyche, heal our hurts, heal our emotions. And we have to have the wine poured in. And the wine is redemption of Christ. So the first thing we must do is allow the shepherd to heal the pain that we've had. The second thing is we have to accept that we all need redemption. The whole world needs redemption. You need redemption. I need redemption. We need redemption. We need to be brought back out of the slavery of the things that bind us. Every person in the world needs redemption, whatever race and color they are. Jesus can offer redemption because he was treated terribly. Because he was suffocated. Because he was put on a cross. Because he was held down by oppressors. And he wasn't allowed to get up. He knows exactly what people have gone through. And he can offer this redemption because he himself suffered and bled and died upon the cross. And we need to understand that and receive that and accept that. And we need to stop 
thinking that we can change things without us being redeemed. And so I appeal to you today, if you're watching this and you've never accepted Jesus into your life, you need to know that he was held down. It was not against his will. He was held down and then lifted up until he was crucified and he died. And the reason he did that is for your sins and for my sins. Martin Luther King said that unearned suffering is redemptive. Jesus' great honor and suffering redeems us all. The third thing that we have to understand is we must listen and we must educate ourselves. We must read. But more than just reading in theory, I want to encourage everyone, whatever color you are, to listen to a story of pain and to understand that story and to listen to it and to begin to feel the pain that people have gone through that it becomes important for all of us. The Bible says, bear each other's burdens. You can't bear a burden unless you listen to the pain of the burden. You can't try and fix it. You just have to listen to it. So let's educate ourselves and listen to each other, particularly those of a race and of a black color that have been hurt. Fourthly, we must speak out for people who are vulnerable. As I said earlier, James, the apostle, says true religion is to defend the fatherless. I was brought up by a single parent. I know exactly what it's like to live on an council estate, and my pain is not greater than anybody else's. I'm not saying that. But I know that there were times when we were marginalized because of where we came from. I've lived in another country and felt like I couldn't speak the language and I felt vulnerable. And I just thank God that there were people who spoke up for me. And we must speak up for those people who are vulnerable. We must speak up for those people who are poor in our city. We must speak up for them. Because maybe they can't speak up for themselves. Fifthly, what we must do is we must invest in, our, in the content of our character. We all don't want to be judged by the color of our skin but we must invest in our character so much that our character outshines any prejudice about the color of our skin. Martin Luther King originally said, I want my, myself not to be, or my children not to be judged by the color of their skin, but the content of their character. At some point, our character must far outweigh everything. And that's not to disavow the color of our skin. We must be proud of the color of our skin. We must be proud of whether we're Italian or whether we're Nigerian or whether we're English or whether we're Irish or Welsh or whatever country we're from, whether we're Caribbean. We have to be proud of where we're from. That's fine. But our character has to outshine everything about us because that's what Christ is after. And at some point, that character, that character will include forgiveness. And it may be too early for me to talk to you about forgiveness. But let me just say what Martin Luther King said. He said, in gaining our rightful place, we must not be guilty of wrongful deeds. We must conduct our struggle on the high planes of discipline. And Jesus said, you must forgive as you have been forgiven. 
Because forgiveness is not just a one-time act, as Martin Luther King said, but it's a continuing attitude. And every one of us stands in the need of forgiveness, and every one of us, by receiving Jesus' forgiveness, has to forgive eventually in layers, carefully, not minimalizing anything that's been done. But that is the goal. So we must bring our character to bear. And we must fill our character with the content of Christ and the content of love and the content of peace. If we're not to be judged, we have to invest in our character. The Bible says in Matthew 5 verse 9 that we are to be peacemakers. And blessed are the peacemakers because they will be called children of God. If you want to be called a child of God, you are to be a peacemaker. You're to speak peace and love. And that again is not to gloss over anything or to ignore anything or to dampen anything down or to kind of say, oh, everybody will calm down. Nobody will calm down, but we do still need to be peacemakers. That's what the Scripture says. And my goal today was to do clear thinking from the Scriptures. And so I confront you with these truths, these truths that are self-evident from the Scriptures, that the content of our character is important. And so parents, you must speak to your children in a mature way. Don't feed hate, feed love, feed peace. You must speak and educate. It's your job to disciple and educate so we can have a new world in the next generation. Whatever color you are, parents, educate your children well because that will be your judgment. We must make room, number six, to give everyone a chance to grow. So if they don't have the means to grow, we have the means can help them. Listen, if you pass your driving test, I want you to pass because you can drive, not because I gave you a break. I want you to pass because you can drive. Now, if because of your background, you didn't have the means to take driving lessons or the system worked against you so you didn't have the opportunity to have driving lessons, then I'm going to work hard so I can pay or get somebody to pay so that you can have driving lessons. You see, what we need to do is just give everyone a chance. If you come to my church and you want to join the choir, You'll join the choir because you can sing, not because anybody's giving you a break. But if you've never had the chance to sing, we're going to give you a chance to sing. So today, let's make sure that in our working life, we give everybody a fair chance. That sometimes we have to make allowances for background and the system that's worked against people, and that when, that, when that's been worked through, that everybody gets a fair chance because that's what we need to do. Lastly, as a church, we must be an example. And I want to just talk to the Christians for a moment. We have to be an example that if you're gifted and if you are called, then you're qualified. If you're gifted and if you're called, then you get the chance. 
If you're gifted and called to be an elder, then you're qualified to be an elder. If you're gifted and called to be a senior leader, then you, are, you can be a senior leader. It doesn't go on what race you are. It goes on your gifting and it goes on your calling. In everybody, that's the whole teaching of 1 Corinthians 12, is that if you're gifted and called, you are part of the body. You can be a hand, you can be an arm, you can be an eye, you can be a nose. All you have to do is have to have the calling and the gifting to be those things. And let's be the example in the church that we deal with people on the basis of gifting and calling and faithfulness, nothing else. So you get to be whatever you need to be in the body of Christ because we lead the way, because we recognize your gifts and we recognize your calling. In fact, we disciple that and call that out. So you can be what you need to be if you're gifted and called to be it. The second thing in the body of Christ is this. We are to be the example of loving one another. I'm so pleased. I'm not bragging. I just am so delighted that we have 90 different nations in our church and we all seem to be able to get on. Jesus said this. In John chapter 13, after he'd washed the disciples' feet, he says, I've got a new commandment for you. My command is this, that you love one another as I've loved you. I've loved you in a sacrificial way. I've loved you as an example. I've sometimes I've been strong with you, but I've always been straight with you. I've loved you. Love one another as I have loved you. And that's his new commandment. And we need to be the example, church, of loving one another. I want to call you out and say, can you be this example now? Can you live that example in all of our lives? We are different to the world. We are separate from the world. We're in the world, but we're not of the world. And it's really important that you grasp that. Let us be the example. Let's make friends with people. We're people who we perhaps uh, wouldn't naturally make friends with, but the Holy Spirit helps us to make friends. Let's get involved in our community. Let's go. If, if God's gifted and called you to be an NHS manager, then go for it. Do it. Don't let anything hold you back. Even if you have been held back, eventually pray and seek, and God will open the way for you because we're different. Let's be the example. You know, I just want to say I get it. I absolutely get it that the... That the symbol at the moment is the raised fist. And, and you know, maybe it needs to be that way. And, and I understand it. But you know, I pray for the day when it's not the raised fist, but it's the open hand. That actually we raise our hands in together prayer. That we raise our hands in the open hand of help. And I understand that I'm not minimalizing the pain, but I pray for a new day and a, and a new calling and a new vision and some new symbols that aren't about the closed fist and the hard heart, but the open hand and the open heart. And so today, I want to say to you as a church, let's be different. Let's be the example. Let's be, as Philippians 2 says, the shining lights in the darkness. Let's be that example. So today, my message was called The Race Against Racism. And I just really wanted to preach some facts. So that from that thinking, we could then begin to move forward. And I know some people are not ready to move forward. I accept that. But you know, it's got a double-edged meaning. The race against racism means it's a race, as in a foot race. We haven't got the time to wait. It's a race. 
We can't put it off and we can't keep saying next generation. It's a race. We need to race against it so that we eradicate it. It's an idol in our society. But also, my second meaning for saying the race against racism is to say we need to become a new race or a people group. A race that actually stands against racism. That we, the church, the new humanity, say that as God's race, as God's people, we're against racism. And so you would have heard this scripture many times. Amos chapter 5, verse 24. Let justice roll on like a river. Come on, some of you are quoting it with me. And righteousness like a never-failing stream. I pray for the river of justice, I really do. But I want to tell you that righteousness has to flow like a stream too. So that in all of our doing, in all of our saying, that we assume the righteousness of Christ as we deal with people. As we look into our own hearts, then we begin to move on. And so I want to lead you right now. I'm going to invite the band just to come back. I want to lead you in a moment of communion. And over your house and your family, I want you to shine a light. I want you to say, Jesus, let the light of your scripture and clear thinking come in to my life. And in Birmingham City Church, we want to be the difference and the example. I want to say thank you for listening today. My only goal was to bring in some clear thinking. But on the same night that Jesus was betrayed, he knew that he was going to be held down and broken. And he said, this is my body, which is broken for you. And so would you right now ask the Lord to come into your brokenness? To perhaps heal some of your memories. To perhaps heal some of your attitudes. And begin to say, God, come and make my brokenness wholeness. Thank you for being broken for me. Let's take the bread together. And the Good Samaritan poured in the wine into the wounds, cleansing it with forgiveness. And Jesus said, this is the cup of the new covenant, the new covenant, the new agreement, the forgiveness of sins. And I wonder as a family, as a person, whether you could take your juice or your wine and you could just begin to say, Lord, I want to forgive. I do forgive. Help me to forgive. I receive your forgiveness. So let's take the cup together. Would you say it out loud? I receive your forgiveness, Lord. Would you say it out loud? I forgive. 
And today, all I've tried to do is to say what the Bible teaches and make a few challenging suggestions. It will be up to all of us to move forward together. But I want to appeal to the church. Can we be the example? Can we take the first steps? Can we be the friend of those who have no friends? Can we be the ones who live a life of love? Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we bless you and thank you and we worship you. We, we want to tell you that you are the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, and we belong to your kingdom. And we pray right now that you will bring harmony in our land, but Lord, real harmony, where structures are changed and lives are different and systems change and people change. But let that change start with me. So in the name of Jesus, I ask you, forgive me and teach me to forgive. And then maybe we can take the first step in Jesus' name. Amen.